0: car was it? Oh, it was not just any Mustang. It was a 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500. The 1960s were known as a time of muscle cars and when the acceleration speeds really dwarfed the prior decade. That Shelby Mustang could reach a quarter of uh, 95 miles an hour in a quarter of a mile. Now, even as fast as that, that sounds, for you people that have modern day sports cars, you may say, Oh, that's nothing. My car goes faster than that. But I guarantee you, if you were in that car at that time, your faith in God would go zero to 60 faster than the car would. <laughs> but let's be realistic. You've seen the clip, right? Even as fast as the car was, there's no way that that jump was real. You could tell it was sort of computer animated, right? If it was real, the car and the person driving it would not have survived that sudden stop at the end. It certainly would have been a leap of faith. Did you see Nicholas Cage before he took off? He kinda, I mean, he was praying, right? It was a leap of faith. He wasn't sure if this would go, go good or not. But what does a real life leap of faith even look like? Can you think back to a time in your life where you've had to just step out of your comfort zone and trust that God was going to take care of some situation you were facing? I know I can think of many as I was writing this sermon, it it just clicked in my head that after I graduated college, this is before Kelly and I had children, I was offered a job here in Houston. So we accepted the job and we put our house up on the market. We had turned, came down here, looked for a house. We found a house in Fairfield, just off the of 290, which is now the Tanger Outlet Mall. Uh, that might have been a good decision for us buying that house or not, depending on how Tanger paid those people. But we put our ha- put that house on a contract, and our house is on a contract as well. A couple of days passes, and we get a we get someone uh, we get a contract on our house. Hey, sweet, that's great, you know, God's working all this out for us, it's just how we plan. Two days goes by and the couple pulls the contract. All right, the real estate agent says no big deal, this happens, you know, every now and then, we'll just put it back on the market. So we put the house back on the market and before the day was over, we had another contract on the house. Man, that's great, no problem, everything's going as planned. A Couple of days later, the couple pulls the contract on a house. Now, I'd like to stand here and tell you that was the very last time that happened and we lived happily ever after, but that was, would not be the truth. We actually put the house back on the market and after about four days, another couple pulls the contract from the house. Now, you need to understand, no one had even had an inspection done on the house yet. They just simply backed out for no apparent reason. So after the third time, and before Kelly and I lost our own escrow money for this house in Fairfield, we had to have a long talk about what had transpired in just a matter of weeks. We both felt like maybe God was telling us this was not the right move for us. So we had turned, pulled our contract for the home in Fairfield, and we turned down the job. But we had nothing waiting in the wings for us in Tyler, we had no Plan B. We simply had to trust that God would take care of us, and He did. Over and over in our lives, the world has placed obstacles in front of us that we had to make a decision. Are we going to put our faith and trust in God, or are we going to put our faith and trust in the security of the world? I'm sure if you think about it, you could think about your own time that you've had to take your own leap of faith. Perhaps it was when you first got married and you had no idea what what the road looked like ahead of you. But you were just stepping out there knowing that God would take care of you and take care of whatever path that you found to be on. Or perhaps it's when you first got a job, but you had to move to an unknown place with unknown people, and you didn't know what, what that was all going to look like. But you had to have faith that God would guide your steps. We've all had those times in our lives in some form or fashion, but the question we should wrestle with this morning is if we can have faith in God with these more worldlier decisions, why do we struggle having faith in God with our kingdom decisions? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. What prevents us from being more generous with our money? Perhaps we fear that we might run out or not have enough for our own needs. We lack faith in God's provision. What prevents us from being sold out to the gospel? And I mean, when I'm talking sold out to the gospel, I mean every part of your life sold out for the mission of Jesus Christ. What prevents us from doing that? That's why you're here. So what prevents us from doing that? when I think about that, I think about Jesus' interaction with the wealthy young lawyer who came to him and said, What will it take for me to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gives him some answers and he says, Oh, I got all that taken care of. And Jesus says, Okay, well then sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. I mean that's just crazy talk, isn't it? How in the world would he eat and where would he sleep? But perhaps Jesus was simply challenging this man's faith in the midst of his religion. And if you did have that kind of faith, or if you could grow into that kind of faith, what does life look like? I promise you it would be a life that was bright and full of joy. And we would not even be the first followers to have that kind of extravagant faith. We come from a, a long tradition of faithful giants, people who were willing to take a leap of faith and follow whatever God had called them to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you're following along on an electronic device today, I am actually using the NIV version Bible. So for those that are used to me preaching, I always use the New American Standard. NIV was just a better translation of what we're talking about today. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or unfamiliar with the New Testament, you'll find Hebrews closer to the back of the New Testament before the book of James and 1 Peter. I want to just make a few comments about the book of Hebrews before we get too, too far. First, I want you to know that we have no idea who the writer of the book of Hebrews really was. It does say in chapter 2, verse 3, that the writer received the message about Christ from someone who, was, who walked with him. So who does that rule out? Well, that rules out the disciples, right? So the disciples walked with him, but it also rules out the apostle Paul. Where did Paul receive his revelation about Christ? Do you remember? On the road to Damascus, right? So we know this wasn't a disciple, this wasn't Paul, so we don't really know who it was. Martin Luther believed that the writer could have been Apollos. Apollos was known to be a great order. And so because of the way that the book is written, uh, he believed that Apollos would be a perfect fit, but we don't really know. So why was the book written? Well, like everything in the New Testament, it's a letter. Did you know the gospels are a letter? They're a letter written to a community dealing with a specific issue. So Hebrews is the same thing. It's a letter written to a community community who was faced with both tribulation and persecution, and they're wrestling with their faith in the midst of their their hardship. So that's, it's gonna be a theme for the book of Hebrews is is how you deal with your faith in times of hardship. Now today we're gonna begin in chapter 11 and I want us to start with just verses one and two. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now let me say that first verse again. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the foundation of any hope we may have. If you have no faith, you have truly nothing. Faith is what you can build a secure life upon. Even if you can't see what that life holds, even if you don't know what's around the corner, if you have faith, then you should know that you are on solid ground. Now, does that mean if I just have enough faith that I will win the lottery? I've heard people on TV teach that. Does that what that means? No, that's not what it means at all, and I pray that winning the lottery is not your true hope in life. Faith is the foundational ground or foundational belief that God will carry out God's promises. And I want to say that again because it it is the catalyst for everything we're learning today. Faith is the foundational ground or belief that God will carry out God's promises. As far as I know, God never promised you a rose garden or the lottery. But he has promised you eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when the writer of Hebrews says, faith in things hoped for, he's referring to our eternal home in heaven. And when he says the conviction of things not seen, he's referring to the manifestation of God in Christ. So if you have faith, those things will be very real and very tangible for you. Let's move on, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command and that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, by faith, through the conviction of the heart, we can intellectually comprehend that God spoke the world into existence. Someone once said, God made something out of nothing, and it was good. I love what it says in Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded it, and the world stood firm. It's only through faith that you can accept such a belief. And as a pastor, I hear all kinds of theories on the world. Well, you know, that whole stuff in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story, that's not real. That's, that's just, you know, some sort of a fairy tale that somebody created along the way because they're just trying to understand how all this came to be, the writer Hebrew, Hebrews says it's only through faith that you can believe that God spoke the world into existence. Now the writer moves on and he transitions his story into these real life kingdom blessing leap of faith type examples. Look at verse four. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So you probably remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? Do you remember that Cain and Abel were the children of Adam and Eve? And we pursued that Cain and Abel, or maybe even Adam and Eve had already uh, started some sort of sacrificial system uh, as worship for God. And so the Bible teaches us that Abel killed some young calves and he brought those calves as a sacrifice, a, a sacrifice of worship to God. Cain, on the other hand, he brings some of his produce from his crops as his sacrifice. But God favored Abel's offering because Abel was giving out of his abundance. Cain was not. Abel's leap of faith was trusting for the Lord's greater provision far more than his brother Cain. Verses five through six. By faith... Now, there's a tremendous amount of legend around this man named Enoch. He's only one of two people in the Bible that didn't experience death. Do you remember who the other person was? You guess, Elijah. Elijah was the other person. Obviously, from these passages, we learn that, that Enoch was the man who healed fast to his faith and held fast to his, his belief in God. But, but we had to ask the question, what was his specific leap of faith? What did he do that was so great and grand? Well, like many stories in the Bible, we only have part of the story. We don't have the whole story, so we don't really know. But I think the writer of Hebrews gives us a little insight about Enoch, but also about our own faith relationship with God. Look again at what it says in verse six. Without faith, you cannot please God. So understand, when you finally do turn to God, you are expressing faith in God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, that's like step one, you're expressing faith in God. Now you should believe that you will be rewarded for that faith, just like Enoch was rewarded for his faith. As Christians, we believe that reward is not some, just some internal peace and happiness, although you will have that. But it's also uh, a reward is our heavenly home that we'll receive someday in the future. One more quick note, you keep hearing these words, faith and commended. They're repeated in these verses. So you need to understand that the kind of faith that you display does not go unnoticed by God. God was commending those that had extravagant faith. God knows you personally. Verse seven. By faith, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, Noah built an ark to save his family. But his faith... He, but his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, if you are to create a list of people with remarkable faith, I think you could probably argue who the top 10 were. But, but you'd have to agree that Noah would certainly be in the top five. Noah's story comes out of Genesis chapter six. God tells Noah that he's fed up with all the corruption in the world and he should build an ark and await the rain. Now, can you just imagine this man building this massive boat in the middle of a desert? I'm sure he was ridiculed and mocked and made fun of. But Noah didn't care what everyone thought. He didn't care that his neighbors just built the 8,000 square foot house. He didn't care that his neighbors were just buying the, the newest SUV. He didn't care about keeping up with the Joneses. He was only concerned about one thing and that is being faithful to God and what God had called him to do. Do you have that kind of faith? A faith that says, I don't care what people think. All I care about is pleasing my lord i mean just think about it it must have took him 30 or 40 years to build that boat day in and day out hammering away just trying to be faithful to god's calling in his life and then the rains finally came and noah became the heir of righteousness. Let's move on, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later, later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Listen, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham was living in this city called Ur, and Abraham and his wife Sarah uh, Uh, were prepared to, to go to this unknown land. God told them to leave your family, leave everything you know and go. I will lead you where you need to go. And when the Bible says he had to leave his family, understand that's not talking about his wife and kids, that was talking about his brothers, his sisters, his father and his mother. They all lived together in one large compound. Leave all those people and I'm gonna lead you to a new land. And in this new land, your children are going to make a new nation. Like Noah, Abraham would have to be at the top of these biggest leaps list. Abraham did as God asked and he followed the Lord to the land of the Canaanites. Just think about it, what did the word say? He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea what God was doing. And he had no idea if God would even follow through with his promises. But he had faith that God would not lead him astray. I wonder what's on your plate today What is it that you're praying about? Maybe something that you haven't received an answer for in a long time. And you're questioning if God will follow through on his promises to you. Do you believe it? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understandings. He will make your path straight. Verse 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he was as good as dead because of his age, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So you may remember this part of the story, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have any biological children. They were caring for their nephew Lot. And by the time God called them to go to the land of the Canaanites, they were already very old. And the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 18 that God came to them, although they didn't know it was God at the time, they thought it was some sort of Bedouin wanderer that was just needing food or water. God came to them and told them that in the next year, Sarah would have a child. Now Sarah was in the tent just a a little bit away from them and, and she began to laugh at the comment because she didn't realize that it was God that was speaking and she thought, there's no way because of my age that I'll ever have a child. But once she realized that it was God, she had faith that the message was true and one year later, Isaac was born. Sarah's leap of faith was believing that God could... Help an old barren woman conceive a child. Let's finish verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. All these people died before the promises of God were fulfilled. But they died having faith that God's word is trustworthy and true. Do you believe that God's word is trustworthy and true? These people died believing it. So before you take your own leap of faith, how can you be assured it's from God and not some internal personal desire that you're acting out? Well, let me give you three suggestions that Kelly and I have used for the last 20 years, maybe it'll help you too. Number one, ask yourself, will this decision bring glory to God or glory to myself? Will this decision bring glory to God or glory to myself? You get that, right? Many times we simply base our major life decisions on how it might best serve us. And sure, we may pray about it, but we really don't think about the kingdom impact of our decision. Let me give you an example. Perhaps the decision is to take a new job. You're already struggling in your walk with God and, and the decision is to take a new job and, and this new job is gonna keep you from being here on Sunday mornings. That's gonna cause you to struggle even more. So that decision could certainly bring you some financial glory but it may not bring you any kingdom glory. Number two, pray and study. Pray and study. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But listen, he must ask in faith without doubting. Take your decisions to the Lord. The Lord will answer you. But you have to understand that that decision, that answer may not come in a day, in a week, or in a month. It may take years. Or in in Sarah's case, it took decades. But God will give you what you need. But let me encourage you to be in the Word daily also. The psalmist writes, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. Reading the Bible daily is just one way that the Holy Spirit can communicate to you. Number three, look for confirmation. Look for confirmation. Has your own house deal followed through an abnormal amount of times? Open your eyes. Perhaps God is telling you something. Are all your family and friends not on board with your new relationship decision? there may be a reason why they're not on board. Be open to other people's godly opinions. Don't shut down or ignore the encouragement around you. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 15. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, plans will succeed. What plan have you buried down deep inside of your heart due to some sort of fear or obstacle. Perhaps today is the day that you bring that out and say, I can't, Lord. But by faith, I know that you can. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your holy word, Father. We thank you for the way that you teach us and guide us. Father, we ask that as we go from this place, that we go from this place changed. That we go being a people of extravagant faith, not fearing what lies around the corner, but having faith that you're with us. You're guiding us and directing us. Guide us to direct us to build your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this message, and if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org slash give. Also, would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 8.15, 9 o'clock, and 11.15. God bless and have a great week.